There is hope for us yet We are young, we are aware I am Laura McCowan And I am Holly Whitaker This is Home Podcast Hi So Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god Yeah, I know, this is such a big deal so this is what are what are we talking about? Well, everybody already knows because the title. <laughs> it's not like care. we're revealing the secret here. We're talking about Augustine Burroughs and um, <gasps> and our interview with him, which was yeah, and the most the most exciting interview. Like for me, it has been it was a total life <laughs> total life moment. Yeah. Um, I, it was, I, you know, it was for me incredibly important. And I think probably one of the things that I loved about it the most was, um, was him. He, I think I told yeah. you this, he just, he reminded me of my sister's best friend, Brandon, who I grew up with as an older brother. And there's, there's something, I was so expecting a catty bitchy man. And I, for some reason, imagined his voice would be like long <laughs> and deep and drawly and, um, he was the sweetest, sweetest thing. A catty thing. bitchy gay man? That's what you were imagining? Yeah, I thought, well, I had him built up in my mind as, I mean, he, you know, he's not so, he's, you know, he talks about his mean brain, you know, I mean, he, he, yeah. the way that he writes, he's very you sarcastic. build up. Yeah, he's super sarcastic and he's said some mean things, you know, and, um, which I, which I love and appreciate about him, but I was expecting him to be intimidating. And what I found was just, um, I mean, he was so sweet and I, I really just, I, I couldn't be more in love with um, with someone. So yeah, it was great. How was it oh for my you? God. And, well, it was also the first one that we have ever done with the video on Skype video. On. Yeah. So Why we did we do that? Sat there. No, I we did it with, we did it with Elena. We did do it with Elena. Oh yeah. But we didn't, we didn't know that that was, I, or we didn't know it was going to happen. I don't know. I don't. Whatever. I, it was awesome. Was, I'm so glad that we got to it was so, look at him. I, I just, <laughs> I remember looking at the computer so many times and being like, Laura, back your face away from the computer because I was like leaning in and just like smiling like so big and just nodding my head I had to sit on my hands during the interview just to keep your had keep so yourself in check nervous energy and excitement and it yeah. was so I mean I read this guy's books he is he is in my top five you know favorite writers and yeah. I read his books I, I read um started reading him a long time ago like 15 years ago uh 10 years ago something you know and I read dry way like when it first came out and um read it again you know I've read it probably three times now and it was just it, it was a shocking moment you know it was yeah. like one of those um when when uh, Brene Brown met Oprah, she's like, "Do I have permission to just not be cool? Like, can I just not be cool about this?" <laughs> That's how I felt, and I almost said it to him when we were like getting started and we were um, fumbling around with the technology, and you couldn't get on. I was like, "Can I just not be cool? This is so hard." <laughs> yeah, but he really did. He was he was such a a human. It was it was quite easy to not freak out. Um, it was yeah. I, I found I found him to be just so um, sweet humble so humble and like he was just sitting there in his farmhouse with his dogs around and yeah 
So let's, you know, because one of the things we did not get to discuss in the interview and um, because we hadn't received our advanced copies yet mm. was yeah. uh, his new book, Lust and Wonder. And yeah. so I, I read it. Did you read it? I did. I read it. And it, it as of when this airs, it will have come out yesterday. That's right. So it was out on March 29th. Yeah, his newest book is Lust and Wonder, and it's about uh, it's it's it kind of takes off where Dry ended, and it really goes deeper into his love life and relationships, uh, and also it it it's kind of sweet because it also is the background story as he's becoming a well-known, very successful New York Times bestselling author. And so, yeah, I didn't think about that. It's really it. We you you go with him through his writing mm-hmm. career. Yeah, yeah. I was. I thought it was. I mean, I read it. I stayed in bed one morning and I read it in a matter of hours. And like all of his writing, it's so appealing. It's so relatable, and I can't put it down. Um, how was it for you? Same. It was. Uh, I loved reading it. I feel. I think because we had just talked to him too, and yes. I've read. I, read every one of his books at this point he's written uh maybe i haven't read one i haven't read the wolf at the table but he has written you know eight memoirs i feel like it's like someone you know and you get to find out more about them yeah yeah and and uh we had just talked to him so it was it was it was it was good it was great i loved it so cool yeah yeah, and I was reading it going, this is like, what? I just talked to him. This is so great. Yeah, uh, and it was interesting, too, because some of the stuff that we actually talked about and some of the questions that we asked him were actually things that he opens up uh, opens up about in the book. So it was really neat to actually um, have that, you know, know, have that personal conversation with things that were actually in the book before, before I read them. So it was a really, yeah. No, I thought it was a wonderful book. I thought it was a really wonderful book. It talks about, I mean, it obviously it talks about um, his, you know, his relationship with sobriety. Uh, it actually talks yeah. about how he came back to sobriety after taking some time off. Uh, it it talks about, um, you know, his, puts it so well. He took some time off. He took some time off. Almost died in his apartment. <laughs> Just like that. Uh, but yeah. But no, yeah. He, it picks up where dry where dry left off, and it's so interesting to hear the perspective. You know, sixteen years later, um, of what what that person was like, and it takes you through his relationship, um, his many relationships and sort of his attitudes about relationships and love and, and his relationship with his, his current, his husband, who's also mm-hmm. you know, at his agent. And I knew that, you know, like I knew he was with his agent and you kind of know this, the, the top level story, but it was really cool and fascinating and special to hear the back. Yeah. No, I did not know that. And so I was on Google and I, I mean, it was just, it was super cool to actually see the wedding announcement. And anyway, all right. So the book is Lust and Wonder and it is out yesterday and it is so worth the read. If you like, if you like Augustine, if you don't, I, I, or if you've never read him, if you don't, if you, if you've read him or if you haven't, it's a really, I think you can, I've picked up, I picked up first with Dry and then went to Running with Scissors. And so I think, I don't think you need to pick up, you know, with any one particular book. And this is a really incredibly well-written book and, um, and also just, uh, a great story about love and also a great story about sobriety. And with that, here he is. Here. So you're in Connecticut today? I'm home in Connecticut today, yeah. And um, because I I thought you were in New York, but 
I was. I lived in New York for years, and we moved out here recently. We moved out here last August. So, um, what is that, six months or something? Yeah. And I've just kind of wanted to get out of the city for a long time. I mean, I write a lot, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I can kind of live anywhere. Um, and I, I grew up in a very rural, you know, rural area, and I just... Yeah. I wanted to get back to that. We've got three dogs. And I love, oh, we live in a really old, super old house. It's like from 1780. And I've always wanted to live in a really old house mm -hmm. because I'm one of those people that I always feel like the worst possible thing that can happen is actually about to happen. <laughs> so when I'm in a house that's been around for a couple hundred years, I feel like the odds are it's not going to fall over on me. <laughs> yeah. Something weirdly comforting about that. All the bad things have already happened. Yeah, it's like if it can survive 200 years, it can survive a few years of me. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Do you, miss, do you yeah. miss living in New York? Is it a little suffocating being in the country or does it feel good? Uh, oh, it's fantastic. I don't miss New York at all. I mean, I mm -hmm. feel really happy and comfortable here. It's crazier in some ways, yeah. you know, because we've made some friends out here. And it's, some people in the country, the thing about the country, just for uh, people who may not know, many people who live out in nature, is that when you live in a city, you know, it's like you're kind of modulated. You have to take public transportation or taxis or cab, whatever, or Uber, or you're an elevator and there's a person in the elevator and there's like always someone to check you. would be like, you sure you're feeling okay today? <laughs> but out, out here, you're on your own. So you're like, am I okay? Weeks can go by. And, you know, you can meet some crazy people. Yeah. That's funny. So. I don't think about that. I live, I work in Boston, but I live out here. So it's like a mix, you know, going yeah. to a little beach town, but living in the city. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's funny. I always, dug, I, was gonna say, I always dig living in the city just because you could get, I feel like I can disappear. I feel like I can ignore people and it's okay. Or I can somehow, like, I can exist among the people, but I don't have to talk to the right. people. Well, know. that's true. There's a great deal of animidity in the city, oddly and ironically. And that's, that is one thing I, I always loved about it. But I've got that out here, too, because we're like, you know, kind of secluded. I was wondering how many dogs you had, too, because I see that you like post pictures of, of the dogs. Mm -hmm. And it looks like there are many of them. But We have three, but they're shapeshifters. You know? yeah. <laughs> they get bigger or smaller, depending on the circumstances. Is one a mastiff? One is a Great Dane puppy, so he's like six months old, Aww. and we got him right when we moved, right, right before we moved in, and he's already like 140 pounds. I mean, he's he's like this gigantic thing that just dropped from the sky, and when he walks through the house, it's like everything shakes. But he's great. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love big and dogs. It's a boy. What's his name? Otis. Otis. Mm. Yeah. Um. So. So quickly, Holly and I have not yet read the book, uh, mm -hmm. but we're, it's, on, it's on its way to Well, us. I have yeah. read two chapters of it or whatever you put in at the run. And <laughs> I've read a little right. bit, so I feel. <laughs> yeah, a little blur. Um, and I was checking because it feels like forever since you have published something, but it hasn't been that long. It's been like three years um, since this is how it came out. And so, like, can you talk a little bit about Lust in Wonder and how it sort of came to be? Sure. Um, oh, you know, I, I really kind of thought I wasn't going to write another memoir. I figured I would write uh, some novels, yeah. you know. So my first memoir was Running with Scissors about my crazy childhood. And then there was Dry, which was about being, you know, 
my substance abuse, my alcoholism, and being in advertising. And then I released several sort of collections of stories, true stories from my life, essays. And then there was a really dark memoir about my father and a Christmas book. And my last book was a self-help book. So it really has been a long time since I've released a memoir like Running With Scissors and Dry. And it came about because, like I said, I was really thinking I would write a novel. And I did. But I just didn't, um, I don't know, I just didn't love it when I was done, yeah. you know? So I wrote another one. <laughs> and uh, I just felt like, I mean, I guess it's good, but, and yet so much had happened in my, in my personal life. And it had been so many years since I stopped drinking. I stopped drinking in 1999. And we were trying to put that together. Yeah, yeah, right before I published my first book, Cellivision. And so all these years of being sober, life was supposed to be pretty perfect and be very seamless. And things were, all those horrible decisions I made when I was drunk, well, those were supposed to be a thing of the past. And I found myself at a place where I felt like my life was even more of a mess than it had been when I was drinking in some ways. And, you know, certain things that I thought were supposed to be fixed didn't seem like they were fixed. And it's true that I wasn't drinking anymore, but I had <clears throat> addiction had sprung up in other areas. Yeah. It was like playing, you know, what is that stupid whack game with the mom? Whack-a-mole. Yeah, it was so whack it was yeah. so totally whack-a-mole. So How had it sprung up? To... Like in what other areas did it sprung up? It sprung up in terms of like my obsession, the level of obsession and the things with which I became obsessed. You know, I've always been since I was a little kid, obsessed with jewelry. My grandmother collected jewelry, and jade especially. So because I had such a, um, a frightening, you know, and lonely and unstable childhood, my grandmother was actually pretty stable. She was down in Georgia, so I didn't see her frequently. But when I did, I just sort of embraced everything that was, you know, reminded me of her. And one of those things was jewelry. So. When I get stressed out or freaked out, <clears throat> I go look for jewelry or gemstones, you know. Yeah. And I don't even wear it, but I just like to have it. So, you know, I would spend myself to my last penny on, you know, some crystal barrel cat's eye ring. I mean, that's just ridiculous, but <laughs> I would. And that's definitely the addict. So Lust and Wonder is really about my life, what it's been like since I stopped drinking, you know. And, and it, the book starts right at the very, very end. It's like the last drinking days, you know, and the majority of it is, and, and one of my, my sort of first big long-term relationship in Lust and Wonder is with somebody um, named Dennis, and I'm just decided, you know what, this person seems really healthy and sane. This person on paper looks like they'd be good for me. I'm going to make this work. And I was, you know, it was... 10 years of making it work with somebody who ultimately just, I don't think really even liked me, you know? Yeah. yeah, because the thing is with, at least with me, um, and it's probably the same for a lot of alcoholics, but I'd been drinking, you know, since I was a young teenager. I mean, I, I started drinking when I was like 13. Mm -hmm. And then I started nightly drinking when I was 16 and a half as a waiter at a ground round. So, and then I stopped when I was 30, you know, it's a long time. It's a lot of, so 
I just didn't trust my instincts. And I felt like, you know, my relationship choices that I've made in the past, they haven't worked. Clearly, I don't know what I'm doing. This guy, he's been in therapy for 10 years. He must know. You know, and also he, I guess he sort of represented stability and normalcy to me. Yeah. My life has never been, you know, normal. Yeah. And I longed for that. You know, so I, I spent a decade lying to myself, you know, saying, uh, you know, that doesn't matter or that's not how I really feel or this is what happened. That's what I did a lot too is this is what happy feels like, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Because at the same time, you know, I was actually in love with my literary agent, but that was gross, you know, because I can't, I can't be for right. so many reasons, you know, it's like you don't even go there. So it was a lot of time denying what I really felt about this person who was so instrumental in my, in my writing career. Um, so I have to ask because yeah. the, the truthfulness thing is like, when I read, um, it seems to be woven, especially through in this is how, like you, I don't know. I read that as a, you know, a self-help book, but you got like, got away with saying things that I wouldn't usually accept from other people or something. Right. And I think because I had respected your work too, but I think it was because, and it was deeply uncomfortable in a lot of cases. And I think it's cause you like went past this thing and you really talked about like getting to the truth of what happened right. with you. And I find, especially coming, I mean, I learned to tell the truth by getting, in, in getting sober. Mm -hmm. I had lied basically until then. And right. to, not even truly knowing it, like knowing it, but not knowing it. Sure. And so the whole concept, like, I don't know, maybe talk about that. Like getting, getting sober to me seems like how a, a lot of people end up learning to tell the truth because you kind of, you can't really survive or you, or you, I don't know, you, if I, in AA, I went and I was like, oh, people tell the truth. Oh, wow. I'm going to try that. Mm -hmm. And it ends up being really freeing and things you didn't think you could possibly tell, you start to tell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Sobriety and the truth. I mean, they're so deeply intertwined and, and I, what I've seen is that um, people who are not able to remain sober I've noticed have a tendency to not actually be so honest with themselves and the people are, that are around them. This is how it came about. I don't read self-help books. They kind of gross me out. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, after having been, I mean, I'd written so many personal books up until This Is How, and I had met so many people who read them and, um, you know, for whom these books really matter. And I would get all these questions. How did you survive, you know, sexual abuse as a kid? Or how did you not go through school? Or how did you get sober? And how did you stay? All these questions. And I just really felt like, you know, another thing people would say is that reading, you know, Running With Scissors or Drive really helped me face the sexual abuse that I went through or helped me with my own sobriety. And I always kind of felt like, wow, it did? Really? Because I wasn't really trying, trying to, to be helpful. You know, I was just sort of going through my story. I didn't mean to be helpful. But I can actually be useful because there are things I have absolutely learned and that's when I decided to put them in a book. Yeah. It's like with one of the chapters in, in the book is about confidence. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you look at like bookstores and self-help, like there's ways to get confidence, you know, there's like three to seven steps. 
and you've got to remind yourself of all the good things you've done and da da da. And it's like that's not true. That's not true at all. Confidence has absolutely nothing to do. Confidence is not something that you yourself feel about whatever you're doing. It's like if I'm giving a presentation and I want to appear confident on stage, the only way that's ever going to happen is if I'm not trying to be confident and not thinking about being confident, but if in fact I'm focused on the thing I'm doing right this moment. So that if my PowerPoint presentation fails, I can be right in the exact moment and be like, oh, Wow, so I have no notes. Okay, let's see if I can figure out on slide two what I was going to... Just being human in the moment. And what happens is that when, when you are in the moment, focused on the thing you're doing, the, people who, the person who is observing you, they will see a person who's confident. Yeah. So confidence is something that it's in the eye of the beholder. And confidence is what, if you need to get more confident, you need to stop giving a shit about what other people are thinking and are they thinking about you. And that, it sounds overly simplistic, but it's really, really not. It's simple, but it isn't easy because you've got to constantly rein yourself back in and focus on, as soon as you start to feel stage fright, for example, or as soon as you start to think, I don't think I can do this, you've got to stop that thought and just do it. So the book is filled with so many things like that. And about uh, alcohol, what I talk about, it's a very brief chapter on alcoholism that appears in This Is How. But alcohol, getting sober, staying sober, is actually another one of those things that's not difficult. You just can't drink. Relapse, you know, is actually not part of recovery. Relapse is part of drinking because I remember when I would... When I went through rehab and went through the rooms, AA, I would hear that a lot. Relapse is part of recovery. It's okay. And I can remember feeling like, oh, okay, it seems like you get a, a few free get-out-of-jail-free cards here. Yeah. So I've always got this you know, relapse. Since it's part of recovery, I can kind of tuck it away and know that at some point if I really need to, I can relapse. And that's not right. You know, you don't, you can't. You can't drink. And the thing about not being able to drink is that, it's only uncomfortable. It's nothing more. Sometimes it's very uncomfortable. And sometimes it's not fucking fair. And sometimes it's infuriating. But that's all it is. You can actually do it. And if you really are honest with yourself, like we're talking about how being sober is so intertwined with honesty, I don't know... Uh, your personal history or your or your viewers and listeners' histories with, with relapsing, if they're in sobriety, but that moment when you did pick up the drink, if you really are brutally honest with yourself, you chose it. There was a tiny little switch in your head that said, fuck it. And that fuck it is a choice. It's not, I don't believe we're powerless over it. Being power, you are powerless over stage four cancer. There is, if you have it, there's nothing you're going to do about it. You are powerless um, over a, over a, you know, acts of terrorism. You are powerless. I mean, there are many diseases over which we have. There is nothing. If you are diagnosed never with, a choice. Yeah. no. If you are diagnosed with ALS, your trajectory is going to go a certain way, and. At this stage in our, you know, where we are with medicine, there's nothing you can really do. But with alcoholism, it's a little different. 
because it may feel as though you're powerless. It may feel so incredibly powerful that you have no choice but to succumb, but that's not actually accurate because, you know, you're the one that has to pour the, the fluid down your throat. Yeah, so do you feel like when you were, you know, in, I don't know, when, like you, looking back, do you feel like you always had a choice or is that something you can see now? I always had a choice. I just chose to believe that I didn't. Um, I felt like, you know, choices can be very difficult things to make because they're, they can be expensive, you know, in many different ways. Um, to stop drinking at other points in my life, oh, I would have had to face the fact that I really hate so much about my life. And I can't face that right now. So, you know, and ultimately the things I was afraid of are the things I didn't want to have to face. I was worried that, you know, my career would fall apart. Well, it did actually, because I really did hate it. And it did fall apart and I took it apart and I got sober and I did lose a lot of friends. And all those things I was afraid of, yeah, they happened when I stopped drinking, but so much that I never could have imagined also happened. And I've been sober long enough now to know that um, even when things suck, even when I am faced with something that's just awful, I'm so glad to be sober when I'm facing it. It seems that you know the, the essential qualities that I need to get through it, the reservoir you know, of sort of strength to tap that, I've got to be sober. Um, but you didn't know that. I mean, that's like, that's, because I, I know that is something certainly, I mean, like, you knew, I'm a year and a half or so. That comes, you know, you don't know that you have all that stuff, right? It's like this no. big illusion that you've created that, um, and I'm so curious what Holly's thinking, too, about the, the choice matter. and, the, and the Well, I'm stuff. thinking, I mean, part of it I'm, I'm thinking is, uh, there is, a, there is a factor in that it does actually, when you start to consume and you get to certain levels, and we're talking like the outer limits, it does start to dismantle your ability to actually choose. I mean, there is like there is research that shows at some point you aren't thinking with the right mind and the, and the, up, you know, the human capacity of being able to choose that dismantles that part of us. So I think that there is at some point, I think choice, and, and I'm with you on this. I am with you on this. I fully believe in that I am not powerless over alcohol. I'm, I believe I'm very powerful and I believe that I have that choice to not tangle with it. But at the same level, I do know that when you get further and further down the spectrum, that choice is a very, very hard one to a very hard one to come to. When we're closer to the middle of the spectrum, I think it's not as hard. I mean, I'm curious what you think about that. I think the choice is much harder the later you are. I remember when um, when I stopped drinking for the very last because I went to rehab, but then I relapsed and I picked up and drank again and I drank more than I ever had before, which yeah. is exactly what they said would happen at rehab. And I got to the place where I was, you know, it was hallucinating spiders and I had neurological damage. You were like in your apartment, basically. Mm -hmm, right. And I know that the choice to stop drinking at that point, it, I just, I, I didn't even seem like there was. What, what really changed is the caring. I just didn't give a shit. Yeah. It's like, I'm going down, I'm dying. So it's, I still had a choice, but I wasn't interested in making it. I was interested in staying on the same track that I'm on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I stopped 
drinking accidentally, really. I stopped drinking because I started writing. Yeah. And that gave me an insight into alcoholism that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And it may be one of these things where it's different for everybody. But when I started writing, I mean, I'd been an advertising copywriter for years. And that really is puzzle solving, problem solving. It's not really writing. I mean, I would write five lines. I'm in advertising. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so I sat down one morning, uh, hungover, but not even hungover at that stage because when you've been drinking so many years and you wake up, that thick feeling isn't really, I can't say that it's hungover. It's just right. how you are. Yeah. It's just who you are. But, and I was going to start, I would start drinking in a couple of hours, have some coffee, and then I would start drinking. But I didn't. I started writing, and this writing just was exploding out of my fingertips as I typed. And I didn't know where it was going, but I didn't question it, and I just kept going and going and going. And I did it for seven days. You know, and by the end of that seven days, I wasn't drinking anymore, and I didn't drink again. And it was not something I set out to do. It, was, it didn't feel like any kind of choice that I made, although, of course, I did. Um, but what it felt like was, oh, this, this is the, the I, this, I can reach that itch, you know, like, it's been that, that does it. So I feel like one thing that um, is absent from a lot of the programs, now, I went through treatment you know, years ago, and, and I'm sure they've evolved since then. But it's, I think, essential to find something that matters to you more than drinking. Right. And I think that in the program, you know, um, a lot of people choose a higher power, and that's wonderful if that can work for you. It's got to be something that um, I really believe you need to do something. I think that you need to find something you're passionate about. And, you know, if you're fortunate, maybe it can be your work. And if you have a job or a career that, you know, maybe it's financially it makes sense for you to stay in this career. Maybe you don't love it. Maybe you're really good at it. That's fine. But when you go home, you've got to do something that you love. And even if you can only squeeze it in for half an hour or an hour a day, whatever it is, a lot of people don't know what that is. You know, because you spent your life drinking, drinking's the thing you love. That's why you've got to get out there and you've got to make effort. You know, yeah. you yeah. don't know that you love photography until you go take a photography course. You yeah. may love being a potter and you've got to go take a pottery course. It's or yeah, it's meaning. I mean, you, I think that's what meaning. I, I think of Victor Frankl's man's search for meaning and, you know, people in concentration camps. And he found that they, people just want a purpose. Like they need a purpose. Yeah. And even in those circumstances, if they had, if they had a purpose, they, um, had the will to live. Yeah, and I, I was, think you. Oh, no, I was no, just, go ahead. Well, I was talking about this last night. So I teach, I teach a school, and I teach people how to how to navigate sobriety from like a holistic perspective. And we were just talking about this last night because I think there's this other there's this part of addiction that causes that we're running from our shit, right? We're running from the horrors and the terrors. I think there's this other part where we're actually running from our greatness, and we're where that stuff that's inside that we're not bringing out is killing us just as much as all the stuff that's actually like traumatized us has. And so for me, this is like exactly like what you just said. I was just talking about this last night. One of the things that saved me, I mean, I, I'm a writer now. I write almost every day. It's something that I had no idea I actually had in me until sobriety. The same as photography and the same as some other things. And those things more than anything, like bringing that stuff out. Have you read Stephen Pressfold's um, The War of Art? I haven't read that, no. 
Uh, it's just wonderful because it talks about how this resistance towards doing these creative endeavors that completely like scare the shit out of us, this resistance towards bringing out all that stuff that's in us is one of the things that like, it's like creative creativity inverted causes destruction. It's almost like an atomic bomb and the more you repress it and not let that out, the more it is likely that you're going to implode. So yeah, I love it. I love that you just brought that up because I think it's so important. That really rings true to me. I mean, I think that there's a lot of truth in that. It sounds and feels exactly correct. Um, it, can, it is an atomic bomb if you repress it. And I think that for me and probably for a lot of other alcoholics, drinking was a way to just crush everything back, you know? You can crush your problems away and you can crush time. It gives you a, the option to, it, it makes time much more flexible. It gives you a lot of control. Um, it, it can be very disinhibiting. And there are a lot of pluses to it, frankly. Um, it's very convenient to it be able. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's very convenient to be able. Alcohol is like it smears a lot in your life. So if you just want to get rid of things, you can kind of smear it away. Right. Um, but it, it also has the effect of doing that with uh, the positive aspects. You know, you don't get to sort of pick and choose what it's going to affect in your life. And again, the drug at some point takes over physiologically. And, you know, for someone who's an alcoholic, it's just absolutely disastrous because it becomes the only thing that matters, the only thing you want. The, you, all your creative energy and spiritual energy and, you know, the passion you should be sharing with your family and your relationships, all of it's just channeled, funneled into a bottle, you know, right. or a pill. And by degrees, it's like, so it's, it's, I think that's the, a lot of people that we talk to or that listen are a lot of women, but it's a lot of people that their lives didn't look like that. You know, it didn't look like that. And then it did. And then it did is the thing. It doesn't until it does. Right. And I've just seen that so many times, you know, there's a thing, uh, high functioning alcoholism, you know, and yeah, you can get by for a long time. But then it's like there's a switch, and it just it gets toggled. And uh, when it's flipped, that's it. It's the thing you care about, and you know it's it's just it's above family, and it's above everything else. It's above health, and you know your sense of sort of self-respect, your sense of self. You'll absolutely trade these. We all become whores, you know. And it's just like take it, take it. Just give me the drink. Give it to yeah. me. It just don't care. It just doesn't matter. The only thing, everything stops mattering. It's a, you become, you, you, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny little life. And when I stopped drinking, um, I'd reached a place where I was fine with that. I knew I'd made mistakes. I didn't have relationships and friendships in my life. I'd made so many bad choices. I knew that I had had potential that I squandered. I just was so, and I thought, you know what? Alcohol is my only little comfort, and at least I have it. Right. I know I'm going to have a heart attack and die, and at least I have alcohol. Yeah. That th you know, thank God for that because it's, it's going to so be crazy. Because like, look, mm -hmm. at, you've gone on to like write these beautiful books, and ah, it's thank just you. it feels so um, like fragile. Like that moment. Like, do you look back at the starting to write at that day as some sort of spiritual something, or do you just what do you think that was? Like, how do you account for that now yeah. in your head? That's what I want to know too. I know. I, I just don't know that I can account for it. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, I'm not a terribly spiritual person. I, 
I've thought about it. It's, it's sort of a mysterious thing. I mean, it's, I was so fortunate that I, there was a tiny little window of probably an hour or two when I woke up before I would start drinking and something hit me in, in the head that was funny and I wrote it down. And was it television? Yeah, it was television, which is my first book, which was a novel. And it's a silly book. It's like a beach read, you know. It's, I loved it. It was Thank fun. you. Thank you. But it was just that there was just enough of something different and uh, uh, something got sparked. And that's the thing, I think, too, is I was in a very hopeless place. And I wasn't searching for this spark. I wasn't searching for a way out. I was okay with dying. I knew I was going to die. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't looking for relief and escape. It just so happened that that morning, maybe it was because my chair was pulled out three extra inches. Maybe it was because I didn't have papers spread over the keyboard. Something made me sit down and a thought entered my head and I thought, Pat is funny. Yeah. And I just wrote it down. It can be, I mean, life is very fragile too. I mean, you know, and it's fragility goes in multiple directions. I mean, you know, you can step out of your home and you can be hit by a drunk driver or a car, or a bus can be hijacked, or a plane can go down. We all know life's fragile in that way. But life is fragile in another way as well, because you can be in a Whole Foods and turn around and step on someone's foot, and they can be a movie producer. Yeah. And you can, you know, have a, or your life can change. Be miraculous, too. In, miraculously in any number of ways. Um, I do know that I never wrote when I was drinking. It just could no. not happen. And I always thought I would write, but I never did. Yeah, and I it's just talked about, about writing a lot. Yeah, I, I talked about it a lot. Talked about it a lot. Um, I have a little tiny bit of um, the writing uh, that I wrote when I was a drunk appears in one of my books and dry. And it's just, it's like a page. It's just awful. There's a lack of clarity. I mean, that's the thing about getting back to what you had brought up before about the truth. Yeah. Um, and the truth is another one of those things that's expensive because there's a difference between what's the thing you think that's true or assume is true or you've been told your whole life is true and the thing that's actually really true, which is tied into wanting something or really deep down inside just really wishing you wanted it. It's like the relationship I write about in Lust and Wonder. I wanted more than anything a normal life. I wanted more than anything this guy. I wanted more than anything this, you know, A leads to B leads to C, life that I laid out for myself. But really, I just wanted to want that life. I didn't want it. And I thought I'm happy with someone who sees me as a compromise and who sees our relationship as a compromise, someone who doesn't really even really like me, I thought, well, I'll get better, I'll change, you know, and I look back on that now, and the truth was expensive. Yeah. I mean, I blew my whole life up. How do you to- get there? I mean, you don't need to tell the details, but I think, I wonder about that space in between, like, how did you get there? Did you pick up a book? Did you see a therapist? Like, did you, how did you figure out, how did you become okay with the truth, the truth truth, like capital T truth? You know, I, it was like a, a feeling that was very familiar from childhood. Something happened in the relationship that I write about in the book. And 
there was just this moment where I saw like, oh, wow, this isn't something that you work on. This is something you walk away from. This is something that's broken. You don't really like me, you know? This is like, no, this is not, this is not going to work. And it was some sort of rebellious sort of, I don't want to say rebellious, but there was some sort of back to the way I felt when I was like 12 and 13 of like, fuck this shit. What am I doing? And I realized I'd rather be alone the rest of my life than be locked inside of a compromise with someone who really can't stand me. And what, what have I been telling myself that, you know, I've got this safe little perfect life with a washer and dryer and that's just not real. Mm-hmm. And how can I deny, I mean, the main thing too was like, I know I can't love my agent. I know I'm not supposed to, but oh my fucking God, I do. <laughs> so I do, you know, yeah. just too bad. And I made a huge mess of my life and but how, I, yeah never been happier it was so right it was just so getting to the truth i mean it's it's costly it is expensive i mean i had um when i was doing some it was some radio thing uh, the radio show briefly for serious networks a woman in the audience asked me about um study habits she was like i'm in law school and I'm really having difficulty with um, studying. You know, my dad was a lawyer, my mom's a lawyer, and it's like I've always known I was going to be a lawyer, but I find that, and I'm in a really great program, but I find that it's really difficult for me to study. And I said, so, do you want to be a lawyer? Yeah. <laughs> and she said, well, that's what I'm saying, I'm in law school. And I was like, well, no, but, uh-huh. like, do you want a lawyer? Like you say, it's, it's always been the case that you're going to be one. And I think she just had really never even stopped to consider it yeah. because her, da- her parents were lawyers and yeah. it was programmed since birth that she would be one. And she never, ever even thought to ask. say, do I even want to question this? Do I, I mean, we all have so many choices we don't, we aren't even aware of. And that's, I think, one of the things that my book, This Is How, is about. Like when I talk about suicide, because I myself was suicidal and having, as a teenager, and realizing that like, it's not that I want to kill myself, it's that I want to end my life. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge difference. And that's what getting to the truth behind the sort of truth means. It's like a lot of people who want to kill themselves, a lot of teenagers, you know, if they really thought it through, I think they would understand that they don't really want to kill themselves because if you kill yourself, you're not going to have the enjoyment of watching those around you suffer, yeah. you know? You're not going to be able to punish them, and you know you're not Which going to be able what to. what you want, all right? At yeah. some level, probably, maybe. And you're not going to experience that relief from your pain because the feeling of relief requires neurological activity, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So, I think what many people really want is to end their lives, and that's something you can do, no matter where you are in your life. You can step right out of your life. It may cost you a lot. It may be very expensive in terms of consequences. But it may be something that's worth it. The but price that's also a choice, right, too. That's also it is a, a choice, choice, too. To say, I you know, it costs more than I'm willing to pay. We have a lot more control over our lives. I mean, certainly in many areas, we don't have any control. But even when something happens to us, um, we are able to figure out how we're going to react to it. And it's, it's not that this is always easy and pleasurable, and it's not like you just need to remember to take control. It's not, it's not that. Because we often face a series of obstacles and a series of endless challenges, and it can, you can end up feeling like this 
it's just hopeless. This is just, but that's where personal strength comes in. That's where you've got to do whatever it takes to grind forward. Yeah, it's like Any what, little how you time. talk about, Holly, how you talk about will versus willpower. Yeah. No, I think it's just so important. I mean, because I, I think so much of this, honestly, because in the in very much the same light, like my, um, I think so much of this actually comes from the first, like I think a lot of this comes from sobriety because you're doing something, first of all, that is subversive. You're doing something that not a lot of people have to fucking do. And it's really hard. And you do have to blow up your life on many different levels. And then you get through to these different stages and you actually realize the rest of it is all is all bullshit as well. And I think that there's just this, like for me what it's really been is it's been this like unwillingness, like not, I, I, I struggled hard for a certain freedom. And then that came. And then all of this other bullshit around me, it just became so much more evident that it wasn't, that that too was not right. necessary. And I could no longer settle for those lies. And I could no longer settle for living in something that I, you know, I, I don't know, something that maybe I couldn't have seen clearly before, not because I was drunk, but just because I had accepted it. And then when you stop it, when you, when you start with that first step of not accepting something that you've taken as a given, I just drank, or it's just this way, and then you start looking at these other things. I think it's still hard. I mean, all of this blowing up yourself and 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 just like you say, it's it's actually realizing you don't want this. This is what you've kind of been told that you want. And then I think that it's something that is just it comes from this place of starting starting somewhere that a lot of people don't have to, a lot of people don't have to do what we've done. A lot of people do not no. have to go go through what we go through. And when you go through that, there's just this place where it's I'm not going to settle anymore. I'm not going to settle. Um and I think it that's comes such a from good that. point. You know, it, I agree with you. And the thing that it makes me think of is how I've thought and said so many times, I wish everyone could be an alcoholic. Yeah, right. I know I would <laughs> never trade it. And I value the experience so much. Yeah. Um, I never, ever look back and think, I wish I hadn't. No. Or do you ever, do you ever miss? No. <laughs> you know, I don't really, yeah. I really don't. Um, and I'm fortunate in that. A lot of people really do. No, I don't and that's either. just something no. I haven't had to struggle with, but I don't miss it. Um, Did you miss it at first, or is this, is this something mm -hmm. that came and over time? There have, been, there have been periods where when I've been through something really stressful or just had a really horrible day, and I think, damn, you know, this would be great. Like, why can't I have whiskey right now? But it's like I had a whole lifetime of a whiskey at the end of the day compressed into my 20s you yeah. know and 30s. yeah so, and that's all your drinks it's it's no it's never really much more than a little disappointing like oh well yeah um yeah. but the thing that you know to what you were saying about how uh you know, it sort of forces you to make these choices this sort of triage um, in your life. I think that's a wonderful thing. And people who are, that I know who have been sober for a long time, all of them have one thing in common, and that is a great deal of honesty uh, with which they live their lives. And I think that that's just kind of inherent in sobriety because you, you can't really be successfully sober. And that means to be pretty happy, you know, as happy as you can be, as anyone can be, to be pretty happy, to be, remain sober, to have your life functional without a lot of self-reflection and introspection and self-knowledge. You know, you can't lie to yourself and, and, you know, if you're in a horrible marriage and you really want to get out of it, but you won't let yourself know that you want to get out of it. If you're an alcoholic, you know, you're probably going to end up drinking again. Mm -hmm. 
So in order to avoid that, you have to look hard at that marriage and, and finally one day get the courage and say, yeah, this isn't working for me. So I think that that's something I admire in alcoholics um, who have been successful in their sobriety is that level of honesty. And it's something you don't see with everybody. There is, you know, some, it's, it's the special privilege really of, of coming through this disease of coming through alcoholism is that um, the people that, that, that I know, again, who have um, been successful in sobriety, they have a lot of substance. Yeah. And I love substance. I love that in a person. That's the most attractive quality that anyone, male, female, can ever have is that gravity, um, which isn't necessarily you know, a heaviness. It's just a, oh, I get it. Yeah, right. I know. You know, I love that. Yeah. I, I feel safe with people who uh, have substance. Right? Me too. Me too. And you know? yeah, you don't have to put any you don't have to put any face on. You can just actually no. be your fucked up self and it's okay. It's amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Sorry, Laura. Sorry. No, that's that's great. I so I'm wondering now um there are two things that I know I want to just ask before we're done and it like that time flew by, but in uh, in this is how like reading that I I was in a I I am in a I do AA um and it helped me to get sober um and I remember reading and this is how and you talk about basically I want to talk to you about AA because you talk about it like it's usefulness and then you talk about how you don't think it's really particularly helpful um in maintaining sobriety so two questions for you like what right. what's your overall thought on on that do you even you know care to talk about it but sure. and then two um. Because the reason I'm asking is because I had someone come to me who I'm very close to in AA and said, I loved that book, but I want to write him a letter and tell him to stop bashing AA. And I was like, I don't think he was. And it's just, it's, it's just like touchy subject, right? And then the, it the, is. the second question is, you know, do you feel like, are you in recovery? Like, do you walk around going, how's my recovery? Is it like something you think of mm-hmm. um, and work on or is it just, or not? Right. I don't, um, I don't think I've bashed AA in any books because I'm, my feeling is if you're in AA and you're sober, then why would you need to change anything, really? Why would you need to even think about whether it's working or not? If you're there and you've got a community of relationships and you enjoy it or you get something from it or it's stimulating, I'm in favor of anything that's going to keep you sober. Mm-hmm. Now... Uh, in my case, it just so happened that I stopped drinking and started writing and didn't go to AA and don't go to AA. And that's just, it really is that simple. Um, I, I, I feel, you know, a lot of people have really powerful issues against AA, and that's something I question too. I feel like, well, if you hate it that much, maybe you actually ought to go so that you can look at where that's coming from. You know, do I think AA is the best treatment for alcoholism? No, I think that someday there'll be some little gene fix, you know, and it'll switch it at some point and, you know, we won't have it, yeah. probably. Um, I think that there are a lot of, um, but I think there are a lot of benefits to it. I think that alcoholism is a disease of isolation, you know. Because, you know, you start and you go out drinking at bars with friends and you're the one who drinks too much. And maybe that's, you know, where a lot of alcoholics kind of think of themselves on the spectrum as, well, I drink a lot when I'm out with friends. Eventually, you'll drink a lot when you're alone. Yeah. 
that's just how it goes. Yeah. You know, if that's the, that that's what's down that highway is solitary drinking. And um, so it's important to get out among people, and AA does present you with uh, the opportunity to do that. One thing I love about AA is going into a room anywhere in the country or often anywhere in the world that you are, you can find a meeting of strangers and go in and say whatever you are thinking that's on your mind, that's the most personal thing you would never tell anybody, you can say it out loud and really feel like you're not being judged. And if you look around the room, you know, you'll see some heads nod. That's a really powerful thing. So it's not that I'm anti-AA. I just don't believe, and I know from experience, it's not the absolute only way. Having said that, which is a dangerous thing to say, um, you've got to have something that's working instead. It's almost like it's the best thing until there's something better. Unless you've got a better idea, go. You know, unless you've got something that's really working, go. I know some people, you know, who um, have not gone to AA and because it's about, like I said, touched on before, about judgment. Well, I don't believe in God. I didn't believe in God when I went to AA. I just pretended I did, and that was enough. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be a spiritual dilemma of a higher power. It's just, you know what, just say it. Say it. You know, have a hot... Yeah, okay. Just so you're not do- drinking for that hour. Cool. So what? Anyone can believe in anything for an hour. Yeah. You know? Try it out. I'm it's curious. Really not- what you said, dangerous idea. What... um that there is another way besides AA. Why do you think that's a, I think it's interesting that you said dangerous idea, especially you saying dangerous idea. So uh, why? Can you ask that again, your voice feed cut out? Oh, sure. I said, I think it's interesting that you said, you said that um, there are other ways besides AA and you said that's a dangerous idea. And I think it's just interesting that you said that you of all people said it's a dangerous idea. So I'm curious of what you mean by that. I think it's a dangerous idea because I think there are a lot of people who in fact, AA may be the very best solution for them, but they may uh, want to avoid the confrontation, the experience of being exposed with a lot of people. Um, the, perhaps people are terrified of strangers and shy, and there might be someone for whom AA would be actually beneficial, but they're going to just have every excuse not to go. And I think it's dangerous because... Y- Unless you've really got something that's really working and you are sober and your life is on course and you're doing really well, you know, it's dangerous if you don't have a better plan. It's mm. dangerous to, to not go to AA and sit home alone and think, I'm just going to white knuckle it, you know. I mean, what I did, I just exploded on the page and started writing. And the process of writing, I was writing about myself and my life. I basically spent, you know, 18 hours a day exploring myself and my life and my issues and my problems. And in that way, it was actually really useful. I mean, it was, I wasn't avoiding myself and my issues. I was going right into them. Being around, it just, it, it, it worked. It's not something that I struggle with now. It's not something that I um, fight against. Um, but I know that for a lot of people, solitary activity without AA isn't necessarily a great idea. Yeah. Um, I'm, what I'm, I guess the thing that, one thing that concerns me is when 
two things that concern me. Sometimes people will say, why do you bash AA and this is how? And like I said, I, I don't think I did. I, it's just... I don't think so either, but I... Other, but another yeah. thing is that, um, is people who hate AA. That's something I find concerning too, because hating AA is hating a room full of people who've had a lot of the same experiences you have, who are as uncomfortable and as deeply disappointed that they can't drink as you are, who also have relationships that may be challenging or maybe falling or broke, who also deal with, you know, how to date. So what are you hating? Like, what is it you're hating? Um, I mean, where there's really strong emotion there of that resistance. In my experience, there's not a lot to hate about it, you know? It's just... It may not um, be the absolute best solution for everyone. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. We 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 uh we want to cover. I know that's what a lot of people are thinking, and I I personally loved that, the, what you had to say about it, and what you didn't, and what you had to say about getting sober. Like I love that you said it's more of a decision or a discovery than a decision for you, mm -hmm. and that you know that that was like, oh, it was like a light bulb. Like, oh, I can just, you know, this can be a path. Like, this can be something we explore. Um, as long yeah. as you don't drink. Like, also, like, in 100% of the cases of people that are sober, they didn't drink. And, you know, it's really true that just don't drink. Just don't drink today, this hour. Just don't drink now. That remains true, and that's something that, you know, you hear in the rooms every time you go in the room, you know, and that really never changes because there is nothing in this world we can be sure of except we are all going to die. I mean, that sounds so negative, but really I can't think of anything else that's absolutely certain. Yeah. And while I would love to remain sober for the rest of my life, that may change in five years. That may change in 20 years. I may get to be 75 and be like, you know what? I've been sober for four hours, breaking out the Johnny Walker, you know, who knows? But that today and living in that moment in today is really good in every aspect of your life, mm -hmm. you know, reaffirming your relationship every day, reaffirming what it is you want out of your life, the goals and your dreams, you know, you, I mean, just as important as it is to pursue a dream, it's also really important to check back in regularly and make sure it's still a dream yeah. make sure you actually still want this if you're a musician and you've been trying to do it for 15 years and you know you need to ask yourself is this like do I still actually want to do this yeah. really like I know someone um, in the theater world and I, I, I could be totally wrong I could be so wrong I have a hunch that they're about to realize that this isn't actually what they want anymore, you know, <laughs> even though it's, it's been their identity for so many years. So living day to day is something that really, that should be the alcoholic community's gift to the world because it's living in the real time, you know, with your mouth pressed up to the lip of the orange juice crusher. That's really what you need to try to do every day to live very fresh, to live now, you know, so that your day, your day and your life doesn't feel recycled, doesn't feel all written out for you. I couldn't be happy in my life if I knew everything that was going to happen from here on end. Right. Yeah. And we, 
and we change. I mean, we change. Like Rose said on Titanic, remember? Yes. When she's going up <laughs> the bank, one cotillion after another, a lifetime of whatever it was she said. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how can we get a that? Oh, I think that's a really good note to end on. It's, it's... <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, you are awesome. Oh, my God. I have to say, I thought you were going to sound like my psychic Leon. He has this very deep, throaty voice, and he's Bye. kind of scary. Um, your writing is amazing, and I thought you'd sound so much different. You're just such a love. So I Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. You're, Appreciate it. You're squeezable. And I know you. You're <laughs> announcing your. You're announcing your. Are you coming to Boston? Yes. Yes. What about yes. LA? Uh, no. Oh, well, you're going to San Francisco, no. I bet. Yes. Damn. San Francisco. Well, I will come see you when you're in LA and all. Excellent. No, no, no. In, not Boston. in LA. I mean, in Boston. In Boston. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Oh, I thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.